We are on Sunday mornings in a series called The Struggle, and I know sometimes you hear a sermon series like that and you think, boy, the preacher's gone from preaching to meddling. Well, let me tell you, Mark did just the same this morning when he, you know, I'm I'm struggling with my 11-year-old to make the case that he doesn't need an iPhone, and in front of 700, 800 folks, Mark just publicly pronounced him an adult. That won't cause any problems. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) As we've been talking about the struggle, we've we've said that the struggle is not about just how every person struggles. Particularly, this series is focused on the struggles that we face as people of faith. And we've talked about struggling with doubt. Last week, we looked at the story of David and Goliath and struggling with fear. Today, we're going to look at a different struggle, getting past Guilt. We all started with a clean slate. We all began with a life that looked kind of like this whiteboard. It was perfect, without blemish, without mark, without any noticeable part on it. I went to go visit little baby Allie Larkham a couple of weeks ago. She was born just barely a pound She's born 20 weeks early, and she is in an uh, incubator just uh, holding on to life. She's doing very well, but she's small and she's tiny. And as I, I beheld her when I went up to see uh, Kelly and, and talked to her a little bit, I, I was just amazed at the work of God and, and how God had made that little baby. And even though she was so small and born so premature... Uh, She was absolutely clean and pure and without sin. Now, it's probably been a while since you were at that stage. But there was a day when you were brought into the world as clean and pure as the wind-driven snow, without spot or blemish, without a sin, perfect in the eyes of God. We all started that way, didn't we? But then along the way, something changed. Something changed, whether it was at age two or three in that very defiant moment when we told our mother and father with a hint of defiance as we stomped down our foot, no! Or we disobeyed when we were a younger child. We had that very moment when sin entered our world. It was more than just a single sin. It was lots of sins. And that's where guilt starts. It starts with sin. As I talk to you this morning about guilt, we're going to draw a picture that I want you hopefully to understand about sin and guilt. Guilt starts with sin. When you have guilt in your life, somewhere along the way... It started with a sin. It started with maybe someone else's sin or more likely your own sin. As that sin took hold in your heart, it produced consequences. Now, I know you're watching the picture and and you're going to see that unfold. But I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at the very first time sin entered the world. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, I love to hear the sound of pages turning. 
Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 is the story. Chapter 3, usually, in most of those situations, talks about the fall of man. Most translations of the Bible label it that way. Verses 8 is where we'll start. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And you say, that sounds like a very reasonable thing. If I was in my garden naked and someone came over for a visit, I'd probably hide too. Ignoring your gardening habits for just a moment, there's something deeper here that the scripture is addressing. The word naked in the Hebrew conveys a deeper, more symbolic meaning, not just of physical nakedness, but of the spiritual nakedness, an openness, a vulnerability. Think about it this way. When you tell someone something that's very private, very personal, it's very it's a wound. You are expressing you are are bringing to them vulnerability, accountability and how they handle that depends will drive how you handle what you've just given them. So you need to handle that tenderly. But but God comes to them as they are naked, as they are vulnerable, as they are open and exposed He's not wanting to condemn them, but they hide from God. Now, the scripture tells us before these verses that Adam and Eve did something with their sin. They tried to they tried to make fig leaves, coverings. They they tried to erase their sin. Matt, can I borrow this? Well, see what what usually happens when we have sin is that we try to erase it. We try to get rid of it. We try to cover it. We try to make coverings for our sin. Fig leaves. The problem, though, is sin, the way, the nature of it, is permanent. It cannot be erased. It cannot be undone. You say, thank you for the positive, encouraging message, preacher. I really appreciate that. I just want you to know... That there's a lot of ways in which people try to cover themselves. There's a lot of ways in which people try to erase that which has been done that they can't undo. But still they try. Sin has this way of staining our heart and our soul with something that's not removable by what we can do. So we make ourselves fig leaves, something to try to cover it up, something to try to distract the attention, but still it's there. Guilt is the natural result of sin. It's the pain that hits us when we know we've done wrong. And I don't care if you're two or a hundred and two. There's that moment when you do wrong and you know, of course, the older you get, the, the better you are at covering it up. But little children, they know when you catch them with their hand in the cookie jar, when they're playing with the toy that they're not supposed to be, and they get caught, there is that moment when they know they've done wrong. We have a little dog um, who is free to anyone who wants him at our home. And uh, even he knows 
when he gets into the things he shouldn't do, when he's in part of the house he shouldn't be in, even a little dog has this sense of right and wrong. How much more than in us? Guilt brings an awareness of sin. Now, you said, well, I don't like preaching about guilt. Listen, you need to understand that guilt is not a terrible thing. It's God's warning gauge. He's, he's, getting, he's telling us in my truck, which has about 215,000 miles on it, I have this dashboard, and you have the same thing, that has all these lights on it and all of these gauges. And occasionally the light comes on or the gauge goes off, and it tells you when something's amiss. Guilt is that warning gauge for us. God designed guilt to tell us when something is wrong. The problem is when we ignore guilt. I have this gauge in my truck that it's the oil pressure gauge, actually. And occasionally it just drop to zero, which is not good. I mean, that would mean the engine would explode, but it never does because I know the gauge is faulty. That's a problem because I've learned to ignore the gauge. And there's lots of people in the world and even in the church that are ignoring the gauge of guilt. If you are here this morning and you have guilt, you need to know that means your gauge is working. And that's a good thing. Because guilt is trying to warn you from something. Everyone sins, but not everyone responds to guilt, to the gauge, in the same way. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Sometimes our guilt causes worldly grief. That worldly grief causes lots of different reactions. People will try to run from God. They stop going to church. They stop coming to small group. They stop becoming a part of your class. Why is that? Is it because they don't like you personally? They may offer that excuse, but more often than not, it has something to do with sin. It has something to do with that gauge going off and they just can't stand to be in a place or with a people that remind them of their gauge. And so they flee from God or they flee from the people of God or they lash out or they hide from God or they blame other people. This, this pattern's repeated often through scripture, but there's a different kind of grief, of guilt, and that is godly grief. And that can only lead us to one place. You see, that is when, instead of trying to erase it on our own, the sin, the guilt, must be covered. It must be atoned, is the biblical word, the theological word. What is happening in the precious blood of Jesus is he is doing for us what we could not do on our own. That's why it must be surrendered to the Savior. Now, you know Romans 3.23, I'm fairly sure. For all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. But we forget that there's a next verse, verse 24, that says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, you and I, we try to erase the guilt as hard as we can. Sometimes it's just this idea of karma. You know, in the world, if, if, if you do some bad things, then it's just a scale. All you have to do is just do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things that you've done, right? Karma is not a biblical idea at all. You don't want karma. There is no way that you can even achieve karma. Because there isn't enough good that can be done to even outweigh just one 
single sin. Sometimes in the religious world, we try to go past uh, just doing good things and we, we do good religious works. We get into legalism. I'm going to earn my Jesus brownie points. I'm just going to be enough church enough times. I'm just going to do enough service projects. I'm going to do, be a part of enough ministries where I sort of stack up a, a pile of good works. Hey, Jesus, I, I know I've done some bad things, but look at all this good I did. It's, it's kind of the same as karma, except it's just got a spiritual face on it. It's just got a, a biblical face that if I just do enough good, if I'm just good enough and I try hard enough and I just try to better myself, then I can erase the guilt and the sin. And it doesn't work either. Jesus is the only remedy for your sin. He is the only one who's capable of atoning for your sin, of paying for the debt that you owe, and of removing it completely. I want you to think about how Jesus was described by Nathaniel. Jesus was described by, the, by Nathaniel in John chapter 1 verse 29 this way. He said when he saw Jesus, he didn't say, hey, there's Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was more than just the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. He was more than just a sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He didn't just pay for sin. He atoned for sin and he took it away. The writer of Colossians says he nailed it to the cross. He is the only remedy for sin. And with Jesus, the Hebrew writer says this, how much more then Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You see what's happening there? It's not just understanding that Jesus paid the price for our sin. It's the fact and understanding that he atoned for the sin, that his blood covered the sin, and that it's only his blood we can, that can pay the price for sin. Sin then, through the blood of Jesus, becomes out of sight. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen says, You have put all my sins behind your back. With Jesus, our sin is out of mind. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and pay attention to this, and will remember their sins no more. Through Jesus' blood, God can't even remember the sins that have been covered by that blood. They're not only out of sight and out of mind, but they're out of reach. Micah chapter 7, verse 19, in a Beautiful picture says you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I don't know if you've ever been scuba diving or if you've ever gone down into the water a little ways. I've done that a, a couple of times in my life. And there's this point when you go down into the water that you just can feel the pressure 
and you can you just know there's so much more depth, but you can't go there. Else the water would crush you. Micah says in Jesus, pointing to Jesus, your sins have been cast into the depths of the sea, sinking far beyond what should be even our ability to acknowledge them, remember them, see them, care about them. They have been cast into the depths of the sea. They are out of sight. They are out of mind. They are out of reach. They are out of existence. Isaiah again says, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. If you're trying to pay for your sin, if you're trying to cover your sin, you need to understand that that is an impossible task. And when you understand the impossibility of it, you understand your deep need for a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May we not forget that it's not on our good works. It's not based on what we've done. It's not about paying back God. It's about not about what we've done. It's about what He's done. He has cast them away. He has covered their sin, and he has given us a clean slate. He has allowed for the first time the thing to be done which could not ever have been done through us. The sin that stained our lives became covered. The sacrifices could, could cover sin, but they couldn't remove sin. There just wasn't enough blood to atone. Hebrews chapter 10 says, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sin. You must be, to have guilt removed completely, you must be forgiven by Jesus. You need a clean slate. You need that sin wiped away. You need it removed. You see, we were all powerless on our own to remove that guilt, that shame, that sin. Only Jesus can. You need to, if you're here this morning, accept the grace that came by Jesus. And there's only one way to do that. Okay? Now, you need to understand that I need you to pay attention because this is a real different way than when we, we talk about it in the Church of Christ some people say, well, you just need to accept Jesus into your heart. You need to make him Lord and you need to say this sinner's prayer. Did you know you can read through the entire Bible and never once hear about accepting Jesus into your heart? Jesus said quite the opposite. He said, come, follow me. He didn't say invite me in. He said, go with me out. Jesus did never, you can read through the entire thing and you will never find the sinner's prayer in this book. That's an invention of man. That's an invention of other people. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want him to be Lord, then very simply, you have to do what he said. If you haven't done what he said, I want you to pay real close attention because we're going to talk very specifically. Here's what Jesus said. Turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is baptism and faith in him. And obedience to his commands are a simple command of Jesus. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be willing to do what Jesus, the Lord, the master says to do. And he said very simply, believe and be baptized. He told his apostles to teach and command those things. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. You can turn there. Jesus, he said, and Jesus, Jesus talking. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And many churches teach that baptism is just an outward sign of an inward grace. You just do it because you're saved. You don't do it to, to I mean, to become a Christian. That's crazy talk. You just, you become a Christian and then you get baptized just because it's a good thing. You know, back into that works theology. We're just get some bonus points here. It's a good thing to do. No, listen. Baptism is the point where your journey in Christ begins. It is not just a bonus point. It is the it is the most important part of understanding what we're talking about. If Jesus is Lord, you're going to do what he said. Now, you may have some clever pastor who comes up with some great analogy about why these verses can't be true. But those verses are still in the book. If you step into eternity and the first question Jesus asks is, do you know me? And you say, yes, Lord, I know you. His second question most surely will be, then did you do what I ask you to do? If you want the forgiveness of Jesus, I realize in our illustration, you can still see the shadow of sin and guilt, right? Not fully erased. But if you want sin and guilt to be fully covered and atoned by Jesus Christ, what Jesus himself said to do, ignoring all other words and wisdom and cute parables of human beings, is very simply this. Believe in your heart and be baptized in the water For the forgiveness of your sins. Peter said it's there you receive forgiveness and it's there you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's an important part of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. It's not the last step. It's the first step. If you are here this morning and you have not believed Jesus and repented of your sin and been immersed into Christ, then you are not following Christ. That's not my opinion. That's in the book. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You say, that sounds too good to be true. Can I tell you a little confession? I haven't told anyone this in 25 years. When I studied the Jewel Miller courses about telling you just the same thing we talked about this morning. And, and my great aunt and uncle told me that all I needed to do was have faith in Christ and to confess him as Lord and to be buried with him in baptism. And all my sins, both present and future, would be forgiven. And you know what I thought? The same, same thing some of you are thinking. 
that sounds too good to be true. Yeah. You know what? It almost is. It's really too good. But fortunately, it is true. You say, you mean, that's, I, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to make a stack. I don't have to get on a, a scale. I just have to let Jesus do it. Yes, yes. That's why it's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So you've got to stop thinking about all the stuff you need to do, all the stuff you have done, all the ways you're going to deal with the stuff that you have done. You've got to stop and let Jesus do it so that you can have no condemnation. So let me ask you, Acts twenty two sixteen. why do you wait? The Paul, a question was asked to Paul. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now this morning we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite you. We're going to do invitation. We're going to do two invitations this morning. This one's the first. The first invitation is to accept God's forgiveness, to let him give you an eternally clean slate. If you are here this morning and you haven't done that, we got a couple of our shepherds at the back, uh, Clayton and Ron. You see him back there at the back? Okay, this is not an invitation where you're going to come forward. We're going to sing a song, and as we stand and sing, if you are not in Christ and you still have that permanent stain of sin and guilt, and you are ready to have it washed clean, to have it washed forever, then I want you during this song to go to the back and talk to Ron or talk to Clayton, and they'll talk to you and see exactly how we can help you. And if we, we would be happy, we'd be thrilled to baptize you into Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen? We'd be thrilled to do it. So, Mark, uh, why don't you come up and we'll lead this first verse and then we will, uh, anyone who needs to respond, instead of going to the front, please go to the back. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood
say, I think we just got two sermons is what Toby did. Listen, though, I need you to understand that your sins, if you have not let Jesus pay the price for them, then you're not ready to step into eternity. Don't let the wisdom of human beings or clever preachers fool you. What you need is the precious blood of Jesus to remove and to take away your sin. But I think on the second part of guilt that there is a a group of people who maybe just this last week, like Jack Allen, or maybe 50 or 60 years ago, went down into the water. And you, I don't know, was a church building somewhere with a, a weird painting on the back? Was it, you remember standing at the edge all nervous? All you had to do was just really stand there. But I remember the day I was baptized and I was so nervous and I, I just was so thankful Jesus didn't come back before Sunday night because that's when I did it. And I stood there and I listened to my Uncle Keith, but I wasn't really listening And he put me under the water, and the water just flooded every part of my body. And as I visualized what was happening, that the grace of Jesus was flooding my heart. And I came up out, and the church there, that lovely church, they hugged me, they encouraged me, not just that Sunday night, but as I continued to grow in my journey in Christ. And I remember thinking, this is wonderful, my sins are all forgiven, and... I didn't even realize that I had a whole lot of sins that I would commit that I hadn't even thought about yet. And I remember the guilt and the shame of just having been in Christ, but doing things that were so unchrist-like. And sitting in a pew on Sunday morning and just being overwhelmed with guilt and sorrow and not sure how I should respond. I mean, if Jesus forgave me, then I guess it was forgiven, but I didn't feel forgiven. And that's what we need to talk about this morning, that guilt can shackle a saint. People that sit in the pew week after week and who have grown spiritually cold. Uh, Thursday night at teen camp, I would, for 15 years... We would have that devotional on Thursday night, and I would hear kids 13 to 18 years old. I'm sorry, hear adults 13 to 18 years old. And we'd invite them to respond, and I remember just heartbroken. I remember, I remember still to this day, standing at the back of the room and hearing a teenage young lady just wailing, and moaning, just absolutely grieving her sin. And I thought, oh, sweet daughter, sweet daughter, why have you carried that so long? She sat in agony because she thought church was the last place you bring stuff like that. Of course, that's not what the scripture says. I, I, I sat with a young man. We and I, we sat kneecap to kneecap in a chair in silence forever because he was enslaved to a sin. And he just was broken and, and the guilt was eating him alive. 
And I saw the enemy working. And I was so sad because I watched how the enemy enslaved those who God had set free. Now, we said guilt is normal, okay? It's the, God's warning gauge. If you don't have any sin, if you don't have any guilt, rather, that's a problem. That means your conscience has been seared. The gauge isn't working or it's being ignored. If you never feel guilt, you're sort of a spiritual sociopath. You never feel pain because you don't feel any guilt. Once saved, but always sinning. The grace of God becomes an excuse to sin, a reason to sin, a license to sin. As Paul said, God forbid. May it never be. But there are other people who only feel guilt. They're a spiritual cripple. They're once saved, almost saved. I hope I'm going to heaven. I mean, I, I did, I trusted Jesus. I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, but I hope. They see God's mercy and grace as only for other people. But if you're in Christ and you're shackled by guilt, you need to understand that though guilt is normal, Living in guilt is not. If you have been forgiven of your sin, but you need to have your guilt healed, I want you to listen to three simple things this morning. First, you need to believe your dad. There's the story of a minister, and he was asked by a deacon if he could go talk with him, and so he did. And in the course of talking, the deacon confessed that 15 years ago he committed a sin. And he felt so guilty. He prayed over it. And he'd, he'd studied about it. And, and he'd asked for forgiveness. And he'd confessed it to his wife. But yet he still felt terrible. What do you do? Well, the minister said, well, tell me, what was the sin? And this was many years ago. He said, 15 years ago. I was serving overseas in the armed forces. And for my time in the service, I skipped church. I never went to worship with the saints. I know my family was back over here, but I just, I just didn't go. I didn't feel like going. I felt like I let God down. And the minister's like, okay, and, and then what? What do you mean, then what? That's what I did. How are you going to fix it? And so the minister, very green behind the ears, he said, well, let me tell you a story. He goes like this. You've got a little boy, don't you? Yeah. He said, how old's that boy? Ten years old. Well, let's imagine that you take your hunting dogs and they're there in the back in the kennel. And you have to leave early one morning. And you tell your ten-year-old son, I want you to feed and water them dogs. Little boy says, okay, Dad, I'll do it. And then you leave for work and go about your day and you come home and those dogs are looking awfully unfed and awfully unwatered and sort of desperate. And you realize that the little boy had forgotten what you told him to do. So you holler for your boy and you say, now, tell me what happened here, son. He says, well, Daddy, I forgot. I got so busy trying to get off to school this morning, and then I got the plane, and when I got home, I just plumb forgot. I'm real sorry about them dogs, Daddy. Please forgive me. I'll feed them right now. Well, you'd probably get on them a little bit. 
tell him to watch, make sure he fed the dogs. And then you'd say, all right, now that's okay, but don't do that anymore. And then you'd go on about your business. And by the next day, you probably wouldn't think about it anymore. Is that about right? Well, yeah, that'd probably be the way it would happen, the deacon replied. Now, suppose the next day you get home from work and all the kids are in that big front yard of yours and they're all playing football and having a great time. All the kids except for your boy, Jeff. He's sitting under a tree and he's moping and he's looking real sad. And you walk over to him and you say, son, what's the matter? Well, Jeff hangs his head and he says, dad, I feel so guilty about not feeding them dogs yesterday. I think I know what you'd say to your son, don't you? You'd say, son, that was a bad thing, but it's over. It's done with. I, I forgave it. I know you're sorry about not doing it, but you told me that yesterday, and I forgave it yesterday. You need to forget about it and move forward. He said, yeah, that's probably what had happened. Now imagine that Jeff's 10, but imagine he's 18 years old now. He crosses the stage of his high school graduation. He receives his diploma, and as he looks out into the crowd, he looks right at, his, at you, his father, and he says, Daddy, I'm so sorry about them dogs. Can you ever forgive me about it? Well, how would you make you feel as a father? Now, Bobby, let's move ahead and think about when your son Jeff is 25 years old. He lives in another city, but he comes home for Thanksgiving with his wife and his son, your grandson, you haven't seen him in six months, and you can't wait to be with him. And as you go to give him a big old hug as he walks through the door, he said, Daddy, remember them dogs? I just can't get over what I did. You told me to feed them and water them, and I, I just ignored it. You ever can forgive me? That's been 15 years ago, son. What do you think the father would feel if something like that happened to him? And with red-rimmed eyes, Bobby the deacon said, Well, I guess I'd think he didn't believe his daddy. There's a lot of folks in here in church, in churches all over the world, that they love their daddy, but they don't really believe him. Psalm 103, the verse that was on the screen earlier, says this about your daddy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Number two, you need to confess your sin. If you've got sin and you're living in it, the scripture tells us, remember the story of David and Bathsheba? And he talks about how he felt when he, when he was in that sin. He says, when I kept silent, this is Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then look what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, David did a horrible thing, but he still had the same daddy, and he still had the same love for him, and God forgave him just as he'll forgive you and pray for healing. 
First John 1, verse 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When was the last time you confessed your sin? To a brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time you, you let go of the thing that was eating you up? This morning, I want to invite you to the second invitation. If you're in Christ, but you're eaten up by guilt, you're shackled by it, it's kept you from growing spiritually, it's kept you from believing in your Father. Why don't you lay your burden down? David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me that I Cast me not away from your presence and take not away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. If you're a baptized Christian, but you're still shackled in guilt, this morning I want to invite you to trust your dad. And if you need to confess sin in a public way, you can do that this morning. Our shepherds will be down front to receive you and to hear you. And if you just want to pray privately with them, they'll do that. Or if you need the prayers of the whole congregation, they'll do that. But this invitation this morning is for confession of sin. As John said, if we claim to not have sin, how can the truth be within us? We lie and deceive ourselves. If you need to confess your sin to be healed from it and have a righteous man pray with you and for you, you can find healing this morning. What will keep you from doing that is the enemy and your fear. This morning, if you have a need, I pray that you'll come. Come as our shepherds receive you, that they might be able to help you heal from sin and from guilt. Come as together we stand and sing.